We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are live here on a Friday, which of course means Friday free-for-all mailbag. Getting you all ready for what will be a very fun weekend coming up. We are just a little over 24 hours away from Notre Dame kicking off against Tennessee State at 3.30 Eastern Time on Saturday. Got you guys all prepared throughout this week, telling you what you should expect, what you want to see, and what you don't want to see in this game from Notre Dame against Tennessee State. So we feel good about where we are with that preparation, which means finally is our favorite time of the week where you all, the community, the chat here at Irish Breakdown, get to lead this conversation. Sorry for getting started a little bit a uh, little bit late. Uh, your boy got pulled over, all right? They tried to stop this show today. They were like, this is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then I was like, it was either an Ohio State fan, a Michigan fan, or a USC fan. I'm confident in that. I want Pete Weber on it, man. I'm like, who do you think you are? I am. And then he was like, yeah, you can go ahead. Sure. <laughs> but we have a lot of good conversations. We know Ryan Literally. didn't say that because that's why he's not in jail right now. I, I know. I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Have a great day, sir. Yeah. Like, I said all that on the inside. <laughs> exactly. After I pulled away from that cop car, yeah. I was so upset. I, le- yeah. I let him know what I thought about him as soon as he left. It's yes. like that scene from Friday. I got mind control on Debo. He'd be like, shut the up. I'd be quiet. When he leave, I'll be talking again. <laughs> great, great. One of my most favorite quotable movies, by the way. Oh, uh, yeah. I love, I love Friday. But we are here, folks. We cannot be stopped today. We have a lot of great questions already in the chat. I think we had 30-something questions before the show even started today. Yeah, man. A lot of topics. Obviously, Notre Dame-related, college football-related. Week one officially upon us. It was a couple 
interesting games yesterday. The ACC obviously has a little bit of an expansion news this morning. So mm-hmm. a lot of topics to get to, a lot of questions. Before we start, though, Brian, I know that you just had a, an announcement that you wanted to kind of yeah. relay to this yeah. to uh, everybody out there in Irish Breakdown Land. And we talked about it yesterday, but I really wanted to help promote the, the Knights of Columbus steak sale that's going on tomorrow, the Notre Dame steak, uh, steak sale. It, the Knights of Columbus, this particular group, is a student-run organization in Notre Dame, and they are dedicated to promoting faith, charity, and patriotism. They've been around for a long time and had a chance to sit down and talk with them yesterday. The only thing we're getting out of this is, is if I go over there tomorrow, they're going to hook me up with a free sandwich. But uh, uh, I, I love the cause, Ryan. And we had a chance to sit down with Jake and uh, the guy that reached out to us. And I, and I actually loved his persistence because he emailed me twice and I just never got around to responding because I was busy. Then he emails you, he emails Styers, he hits me up on, on Facebook. I loved, loved the diligence. And then when I got a chance to talk to them about what they are doing, I felt ridiculous for not responding sooner because it's right up our alley had a chance to sit down with the, with with them and talk to them about kind of what their mission is who the how they support where the money goes they say the only money that doesn't go to charity is whatever they have to cover their costs of buying you know plates and all that type of stuff and so very very happy to support this the money goes to a lot of different local charities including some that we've worked with in the past at irish breakdown uh, some of their charities go to that that they work with. Obviously, is the South Bend's uh, Women's Care Center. Uh, they deal with uh, the Center for Homeless in town, uh, Camp Po Meet Dakota, Adopt a Family, East Africa Ambulance, Holy Cross Missions, uh, Fire Relief, Disaster Relief, uh, a lot of different aspects of of what they support. And so, tomorrow, if you are at the game, they are going to be. Let me just. They're going to be. I believe they said the South Quad. Let me just look at this real, real fast. He said they are going to be, let me just find that follow-up email real quick here, folks. Uh, they're going to be on the Notre Dame South Quad. So they'll be over there and you'll see they're going to have a setup and just you go there, buy some sandwiches and just know that that money's going to help out a great cause. And so I'll be heading over there and to check it out, I'll probably head over there probably like around one o'clock just to say hi to them. And, and if anyone's around there at that time, meet you guys as well. But uh, great, great call. So if you're on campus tomorrow, swing by, get a steak sandwich and, uh, and, and know that you're supporting a great call. So I just wanted to, to give you guys a heads up on that before we get started and get rocking and rolling on today's show. I'm hungry now, man. Think about me too. Me yes, too. The- Both times I've talked about, it, I'm like, man, I should have waited. <laughs> I should have ate something before I talked about that, man. As as if steak sandwiches aren't delicious, it also goes to a great cause or several great causes. So, yes, absolutely. Knights Columbus, make sure to stop by on the game day if you're in town for the Tennessee State game. South Quad, you said, right? They'll be watching the South Quad. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just ready to get rocking and rolling, man. Let's do it, man. Yeah. We uh, had a super chat to start us off today, Tyler Evans. Tyler, thank you so much as always. Really appreciate it. What did you guys think of the three games last night? And I'm so excited the college football is back in full swing. With the exception of my take on Florida's offense led by Graham Mertz, I think we kind of got them all pretty hey, spot on, right? Hey, I mean, man. Hey, man. Graham Mertz threw for over 300 yards for the first time in his career, yeah. right? How much of that came about. in the third and a half, the last quarter yes. and a half when the game was out of, out of hand? <laughs> yes. uh, look. I thought Utah kind of looked like what we thought they're they're gonna struggle a little bit without their starting quarterback. And and but I actually they were better on offense than I thought. They once they got a lead and realized that, that Florida could not score on them, they just went into run out the clock mode. I mean I I, I, I kind of like how earlier on in that game too, they're like we have two quarterbacks with completely different skill sets, Bryce, Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson, we're going to use them both together in a different type of capacity. I thought it actually worked pretty well, to be honest. Ryan, right, in week so. seven, people get a yeah. read on that. They know how to yeah. defend that. In week one, they don't. That's yeah. one of the beauties of doing things like that in week one. I I thought we saw a veteran, smart, savvy coaching staff against a young coaching staff that still hasn't figured it out. And yes. if you're a Florida fan, that was a very disappointing game. I mean, just the lack of the lack of discipline and just some of the dumb mistakes, you know, you got two, if, if I'm Billy Napier, my special teams coach might, might uh, need to have a new job today. I mean, you stop them on fourth down and then you've got two number threes on the field. Uh, yeah. I, I, you just, that kind of stuff, man, it just, it, it can't, it can't happen. It just can't happen. And the other games, Ryan, we said Minnesota, Nebraska was going to be low scoring. We thought Nebraska might have a shot, but they got to prove they can win. And we thought Minnesota would win in the end. And that's exactly what it was. Nebraska just, gave that game away that that team and still under Matt rule uh and at least for one game had just invents ways to lose games I mean you had the interception in the end zone before the second before halftime you had some of the dumb turnovers at the end of the game they they dominated Minnesota outside of eight plays in that game yeah. and lost on the road yeah it, it was it was an ugly game obviously I'll say this Minnesota's quarterback didn't move me at all. The Keklanekis kid, I'm like, he's whatever, right? He's got a really live arm. He just doesn't know what to do with it half the time. Exactly. Yeah. And and also I felt like he I felt like he had no touch. Like everything was a fastball. Like he didn't know how to change arm speeds at all. He's just like everything is the same type of arm speed. Except when he needed to the most on that last touchdown pass. And what a catch by Daniel Jackson. Yeah, it was a great catch. Oh, my gosh. A what a phenomenal. Yeah. He almost brought in the other one. I mean, that dude yeah. almost made two great plays. I'll say this, too. Joe Rossi's a dude. That oh, is great. one of the most underrated coordinators in all. Of- he gets hardly any love. That dude has put some really, really good defenses on the field at Minnesota in his in his tenure there. Yeah. NC State and UConn, exactly. Ryan, that game went exactly how you and I discussed last night. Yeah. UConn's going to be scrappy. They're going to keep it close, but at the end of the day, they're just not going to have enough athletes to beat NC State. And that's exactly how the game happened. Exactly. And we'll have some more yeah. questions about that game too, Ryan. So we won't dive into that one just yet. But uh, yeah, yeah the, the bad loss for Florida. It's, I mean, going on the road to Utah and losing it, there's no shame in that. It's it was the just way an ugly performance. Yeah. yeah, it was an ugly performance. It was just like, yep. I mean, Ryan, that's one of the slower Florida teams I can remember, man. Yes. Like they just they don't have a lot of team speed on this well, team right and now. And they don't just... play fast. 
right? Yeah. Like even some of the guys that I know can run yeah. were not used. They really looked a lot like a Brian Kelly offense, just really methodical, like just no urgency. Yeah. You know, it was all scheme related. It just, it was really weird. And they had some, it, you know, Mertz missed some open guys. They had some drops on other times, just dumb false starts did. to kill drives. I mean, it was just, they look like a really poorly coached football team. I mean, some of that stuff, look, you know what I saw last night, Ryan? I saw a lot of teams playing their opener. Like, sure. like, and, and I tweeted this last night. That's what we saw last night is more how you expect to see teams in week one, not what we saw from Notre Dame. That's what you expect. You know, dumb penalties, false starts. The operation wasn't great. Got two number threes on the field, whatever the case may be. I mean, you know, muff snaps, things along those lines. Those are things you expect to see in the openers, not the precision and execution that Notre Dame showed in the opener. And, right. you well, know, just that's the more well, normal. Florida, Florida really let me down, too, because I, I honestly just – I felt like there was no juice with that team at all None. last night, right? Like, I, I just – like, working from pursuits, there was just no, like, urgency. Like, mm-hmm. it just – People, because I, I made a comment that I just thought that Florida was, we, I, I kind of said that Utah that I thought was a really, really well coached football team, and that was apparent. Florida is not. And yeah. someone said like, "How can you tell that on the on, in an opener?" And I'm just like, "Well, not only the procedural stuff that they had miscues with, but also there was no juice, there was no right. fire. Like they weren't playing hard for their coach. That's that's right. coaching. That is. I mean, right. there's no buy-in. I I just don't think there's any buy-in. I hate to be this person, but I just with what I saw last night, like I just I am continuing to get more and more like, is Napier that guy, man? Like I just don't know if Billy's the right guy for that job. I, I don't I'll know. say this, Ryan, and 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 here's why I would say if if Florida panics and makes that decision, then I I, I think that's going to be a mistake. I think it's fair to have that question. It's very sure. fair to have that question. But but my whole point is is this is a lot of what we saw at Florida State his first two years under Mike Norvell. Sure. And the, the point that I'm making is Billy Napier is not just rebuilding an offense and a defense. He's rebuilding a culture. And if you remember, there was that those same issues of Florida State that uh, in Norvell's first two years of yeah. the buy-in as he weeded out players from their previous program and had to sure. reinvent his culture there. I, I think two years is way too quick to to do that. Now, of course, this is also a program that fired Dan Mullen a year after he not even a full season after he was in the SEC title game. So it wouldn't shock right. me if they if they struggle if they do that. But we've kind of been here before and and and, it, and again, it, like Mike like Marcus Freeman has to put his stamp on Notre Dame and there's some cultural changes that Marcus Freeman has to had to make at Notre Dame if they want to take that next step. But he inherited sure. a team that had gone like 11 and 2, 10 and 2, yeah. 10 and 3 or 11 and two, excuse me, uh, 12 and one and 10 and three. Right. So the culture changes are just like, we're here. We got to get here. And, and, you know, we'll see this season if he's done that. This is more of a toxic culture that needs to get fixed. And I don't know if like one game into year two tells us that he's not the guy, but I think the questions are very fair. And what I would want to see, because what we started to see from Norvell in year two, Ryan, is late in the season, we started to see more fight out of them. If you remember in, in that first year, they they had the Notre Dame game where they 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 fell behind big early, battled back, some dumb plays by Notre Dame. You know, they bring in Mackenzie Milton, he leads them back, and and you know, they, they get in overtime and lose. Then the next week they lose at home to T- Jacksonville State. Then the next week they get blown out by Wake Forest. Then the next week they lose at home to Louisville, and you're thinking, this guy's done. Then they barely beat Syracuse, and then they kind of got rolling. Now, they had some losses down the stretch. They lost to Clemson on the road, but it was a 10-point game where they fought hard. 
They lost to NC State at home in a two-touchdown game where they weren't very good. Then they beat Miami, beat Boston College, and then had a really close three-point loss that season to a Florida team uh, You know that, that obviously was going through their own struggles, obviously, at that point in time because they fired their coach. But they battled. It took a while, however, for the, that start to change. The point being, in year two, even though Florida State wasn't a very good team, you started to see – some of that buy-in start to happen. So if Napier is the guy, you should start to see somewhere around the middle of the season that start to happen. And if it doesn't, then you start getting really, really worried, in my opinion. I just don't think the opener against a pretty good program, not that I think Utah is going to be a very good team this year. I think some of the concerns I have about Utah manifested last night as well, you know, but, but also some of the things that have made Kyle Winningham so good were evident last night. He's got a great staff around him. They're fundamentally sound. They do not beat themselves. No. You just you have to beat them. And it was a great win. And now we found out, too, why Florida doesn't like to travel outside of the South. Because they get exposed, true. right? That's yeah. the reality. They get exposed. But, but uh, yeah, was, rough, rough night for the for the SEC last yeah, that, night. Right? That, was, that, was my, that was my biggest takeaway from the game overall was just that, I mean, consistency factor, right, from Utah. It's like the death taxes and – a Utah coach team is going to be very well coached under Kyle Whittingham. It's just going to be right. I mean, Morgan Scully, I thought had a good game plan defensively. And despite them having some limitations with a former walk on now a quarterback and trying to figure things out and replacing a couple of offensive linemen up front, I thought Andy Ludwig called a really good game, man. Yeah. I thought he got a lot out of what he had on the field last night. Well, first so, play yes. of the game with a new quarterback, former walk on, they go bomb, yeah. they go run a bomb. And it was just a great call. You know, throw too, man. I was oh, surprised. yeah, he Good launched throw. that. And of course, the Florida kid does a terrible job playing the football and then takes oh, the, his own the, dude the kid, out. The kid that was like, ranging back, right? The safety that yeah. was like coming so back. He had, on it. So yeah, the, it, was it, was a, it was a really nice call because they ran sort of like it wasn't double post, but it got the same impact as the double post. The inside guy just ran right in front of the safety. And as yeah. soon as he bit, the post came behind it. And he threw it, and then that guy tried to re, you know, that, the the safety yeah. that bit because he, you can't take that route when you've got still an outside guy running a vertical stem. You can't take that route and cover and cover three or cover one. You've got to let somebody else kind of take that, and keep that in front of you. But he bites on it. They throw over his head. He tries to recover, poorly plays the ball, and then wipes out the cornerback in coverage. And it's <laughs> yeah. just like, oh man, these guys are not good. This is yes. this is a bad sign. And then you know, just the procedural penalties, and it just it was it was sloppy. Well, one it thing you always sloppy. anticipate for a Florida team is to have a really good secondary, and I'm not feeling that no. secondary this year. No. <laughs> so we'll see. No, no. Here's one uh, that I, this is. So we had a super chat from Mark Krogan about the NC State game, so I wanted to bring that up. So that's why we didn't talk a lot about the NC State game. So we'll, we'll go. We'll do that now. Well, Mark, thank you so much for the super chat. I said, do you feel a lot better after NC State versus UConn? I do. No, I mean, look. UConn's a quality football program that's ascending. It was a road. I mean, to me, I look at it as NC State in the opener went on the road and beat a bowl team by 10. Right. And again, they pretty much led the entire game. Were they sloppy? A little bit. Did they look super sharp on offense? Not really. They're doing a complete offensive overhaul. So like when you look at Notre Dame's offensive coordinator in game one, you got to remember, number one, he's going against a much better defense. Robert and I is number two. Jared Parker's not making the overhaul, complete overhaul of the system that Robert and I is doing. Yeah. So no, I don't. I'm, I wouldn't be concerned about. It. If anything, I thought NC State's defense looked, in, in at least in the back seven, what I thought it would be. I think their D line was under underwhelming. 
I, I felt last night, Ryan. Look, I don't know what you thought about that. Looks beatable. Uh, yeah. Their receivers are kind of what Ryan has been saying all offseason. They're okay, but they're nothing special. They their lost, offensive line's an issue. Players yeah. in the wide receiver room this year. So. Their offensive line's an issue, which we kind of talked a little bit about yesterday. And then Vernon Armstrong's a playmaker. And that's that's what he is. He's not the most accurate guy, but he's a, he's a scrambler and a playmaker. NC State, I thought Ryan looked exactly like what I thought they were going to look like last night. I mean, you and I said it. It's not going to be a super high-scoring game. They're going to pull away late. I think we might have said like 31-14 to 14 or, you know, 34-17, 31-17, something like that would be – and that's pretty much what it was, to be honest with you. And so – and then outside of that one long run by UConn, they didn't put a whole lot of drives together on that NC State defense. No. Last night. And, and so I thought they were what we thought they would be. And they're going to be a well-coached defense with some good players and a, a a new offensive coordinator that's going to eventually get that thing turned around. I mean, he is, yeah. but it's just not going to be in week one. And I hope it's not in week two. <laughs> that's going to be the other part of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think the offensive transitional stuff, like I'm not worried about that type of this stuff, right? I, th- I thought yeah. early on UConn had some offensive success and then the defense kind of got eased into the game after the first few drives, you know? So I, NC state is still going to be a tough team, right? Like at the end of the day, like they have physical football players. They have kind of that. They have the persona of just being that team that is just going to be a tough out. Like at the end of the day, should Notre Dame still beat them? Absolutely. Yeah. Should they even end up maybe beating them convincingly when the final whistle blows? Yeah, I think so. But Maybe. it's not going to be a yeah. cake. It's not going to be a cakewalk. If Notre Dame beats NC State convincingly, that means they played really, really well. Are they capable of it? Sure. But look, this is going to be a, a, a quality football team in a in a good game. I mean, look, their defense last night, Ryan, to your point, they gave up 273 yards last night. 70 of that came on one play. Yeah. Right? That's pretty, pretty good performance against a again against a bowl team a better team than navy i mean in my opinion right so yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't get to feeling too hot about myself just yet right i i just you know it's going to be a tough game but it's it's also a game that ryan is is what's still true is what you and i have always said about this game which is this is a team that their name should beat yeah but you gotta you gotta bring at least your b plus game in my opinion to, to win the way you're supposed to in a game like this but yeah, they'll be fine. And and to me, I, if you've got Notre Dame in week two, this is the kind of opponent that you want to prepare for in week one. Just you don't want to just roll over some really bad FCS team, and then you don't really get pressed stressed. They got stressed from a coaching and player standpoint last night, which is going to be good for them going into the Notre Dame game, especially since Notre Dame's going to have a you know have two games under their belt where yep. NC State's just going to have one. We had another super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. What's up, Charlie? Two questions. Brian, will you be at the Duke game? I will be there. Would love to meet you. Question two, with Florida and Nebraska stinking, can you see Notre Dame flipping anybody? Hope all is well, Ryan and BD. Well, there's one guy from Nebraska that certainly have been trying to flip for a while, and that's Carter Nelson. Will that work? I don't know. Because here's the thing, Charlie. you got to understand, Ryan, this is a bit of a double-edged sword. One is, hey, they're not very good, number one if they turn out to be number, but number two, the the problem is, yeah, coach, that means I'm going to go there and play right away and be the guy. And if you know, Carter Nelson at all, I think that kind of attracts him. I'm I'm not, and I don't say that as a negative, Ryan, that's fine. If you want to go somewhere and kind of be the guy that they build, rebuild your in-state program around, I I could understand that. 
and he's he's always been that guy no matter what sport he yeah. plays, right? It's like yeah. that's he's just who he right. is. So yeah. Guy plays eight man. And these are not insults on Carter Nelson. I I no. totally get it. Um, but you're talking about a guy that's gonna stay at the in-state, go to the in-state school and be part of the turnaround, number one. Number two, I I would say let's pump the brakes a little bit on on uh, Nebraska not being good this year just yet. Now their offense is gonna be a problem. I'm just I'm not a Jeff Sims fans, but I'll tell you what I liked what I saw from them on defense yesterday, Ryan. I mean they they were really salty on defense. Now I I don't think much of Minnesota's offense, but they did exactly what you're supposed to do to a team like that, and that's shut down the run and pressure the quarterback. It just their secondary is a, is is average. I thought at least they looked that way last night, but I yeah I I don't know how that's going to do. Florida's the interesting one, Ryan. There's a couple guys that Notre Dame recruited that went various, to Florida. Various Hayes yeah, and Childs. Yeah. yeah. But I just don't know with where you are right now, with what you filled the class up with, if it would make sense to then turn to Darius Hayes now. I mean, you got Kingston, so you're you're kind of set at linebacker. You got Logan Thomas, so you're you're and, and Cole Mullins, so you're kind of set at the Viper plus Viper big end position like I don't I don't know that the numbers would make sense now honestly for me the only linebacker that I right now would say if he was interested I'd go for is Aaron Childs he is a dude in my opinion and I think he's more of a pure linebacker where a Darius is a little bit more of a, I, I feel like a Darius is going to end up being more of a Josh Burnham type than a linebacker for me sure. in the Notre Dame defense. Cause I think he's going to fill that. He, I love the kid's film, but he's going to fill that frame out real nicely, Ryan, and, and probably be like a really twitchy edge, which is great, but you've kind of already got that spot filled in this class. But if a Darius Hayes called me, would I talk to him? Absolutely. Sure. I just don't know that I would push for him. And the other thing with Aaron Childs, Ryan is Notre Dame didn't even finish in his top three. Right. So it's not like they were number two. And now that Florida stinks, you can turn up the heat. If, if anybody's, like going like this right now. Ooh, yes, Florida sucks. It's Michigan because I think they were probably the the biggest contender for Florida to get him. I felt yeah. so. It, Notre Dame may want to get back in that game, but the, the the odds of them. I mean, he he was supposed to come visit the summer, decided not to. I just don't think there's a lot of interest there. And there's some other players Notre Dame maybe can take a look at, but like they're not getting Miles Graham. His dad played there. He's going to Florida, right? I mean, that's just I don't see that happening. Yeah, so I I don't know that there'd be any guys that Notre Dame would necessarily be overly interested in flipping I, at this point in time. Can can I say this too about these two these two stat these two um, classes? Because Charlie, I think it's an interesting question. But I would say this is that I think Nebraska recruits right have an understanding of like, hey, this staff's building here, right? Like, I didn't think anybody right. expected that rule to come in in year one and be like ten and two. Like, I don't think that right. that was the expectation. So you need to understand that there's different expectations here. I think Florida is an interesting one because if they are quick to the boots, right. And they're just like, you know, Billy Napier is not the guy like we need that check button. They have a really good recruiting class in 2024 right now, man. Like you are, if you decide that Billy Napier is not your future and something happens in that regard, or he's on a short leash, you know, going into next season, can you keep the 2024 class together in general? Right. Like, I, I just right. think that there's going to be a, some uncertainty there. But Minnesota, I mean, Nebraska, excuse me. I just wouldn't look too much into that one as far as them stinking. Cause, like, to Brian, to your point, like, it's one game. We'll see how they grow through the season. I just think there's expectations as far as like the recruits that are in the class right now understand they weren't good last year. 
They just got a new coach. They're building from here. I'm going to be a part of the right. solution, right? Not a part of the train. It's not a train that's been built right. yet. So I just think a general understanding a of like where a program is right now. And even though Billy Napier is only in year two, Ryan, it's still a different animal at a place like right. Florida than it is Florida's in Nebraska. Standard. Yeah. Right. And Florida was good pretty recently. I mean, they were in the SEC title game in, in 2020. No, excuse me. It was uh, a 20, yeah, 2020. They were a 10 plus win team in 18 and 19. So, I mean, Nebraska, it's been a long time since Nebraska's been that good of a football team. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's annoying to, to, to kind of see how they are and see how their fans are. But that's just the standard that they have at Florida now. I mean, it just, it just is. And so Napier's going to have to get a couple big wins to survive. I just don't know that Notre Dame will be, look, if they continue to play like this, they're going to lose some kids, but it's going to more so be to Bama, LSU, Florida State, Miami, Clemson, Ohio State. It's going to be teams like that. Uh, the other thing too, Ryan, is they're pretty done. Notre Dame's pretty done. I mean, I know there's some kids they're trying to flip, but it's they're very targeted with what they're going after right now. And I don't know that there are any kids that Florida has that, that Notre Dame was really involved enough with to where they could now all of a sudden get involved and flip them in my opinion definitely not recently definitely not recently yeah yep all right ryan let's get back to the top we got the super chats out of the way thank you all very much for those let's get back to the top detroit hunter says which bowl prediction through the first week do you feel the most and least confident in i don't know that i've had anything validated to that degree after just one game ryan yeah. I, I i'll feel a lot better about okay yep I'm confident in this or not confident in that based on what happens against NC state. What I will say, however, is I was surprised at how well the offensive line played for Notre Dame in the opener and how well they played together in the opener, because normally in a line, especially when you're missing two guards, it might take you some time to get going. Right. I mean, and, and they came out and played really well together in the opener. So uh, that would be one that I would say, I look, Ryan, I don't know what you can learn about Notre Dame from the Navy game. I mean, it was great and it was flying around and all that, but like that doesn't translate nothing you did schematically and how you played is necessarily translates to the rest of the games. So let's see how they do today and let's see how they do next week. And then I'll feel a lot better about, you know, some of my, cause if you predicted a lot of yards for Sam Hartman this year, you're looking at it saying, well, he's barely on pace for 3000 yards right now based on what he did in the opener. Right, he's gonna sure. throw a mess of touchdowns, but not a whole lot of yards. Uh, so you know, I, if you're someone who predicted 1,500 yards for Audric Estime, because that was one of my predictions for the year, was Audric Estime was going to be you know about 12, 1,300 yards. Well, he's not on pace for that right now because, uh, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I just need to see a little bit more before I start sure. jumping in on any of those those type of predictions for me. Yeah. Well, my my big prediction was that they're going to make the national championship game, right? So like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's way too early to. Yeah. Say that that one is. Oh yeah, it's a lock. Yeah, really. Yeah, it's a lock. Yeah. Now I'll say this: if you are going to be that type of team, a good sign is what you did to Navy. It's a good sign. Sure. But doing what you did in Navy, to Ryan's point, doesn't mean all of a sudden. You know, you're you're oh yeah because of what you did in Navy, Georgia, you're in trouble. You know (laughs) that that does not equal that at all. We had David Lowe. What's up, David? After what I saw from NC State last night, it is very real possibility we head into the Ohio State game 
as a top eight team in the country agree or disagree? It's possible. I mean, but again, I, I would not, guys, we say this all the time. Don't read too much into one game. It's true for Notre Dame. It's true for everybody else. Right. I mean, need I remind you how bad Ohio State looked in the first, what, three games of the 2014 season, right? I mean, didn't look very good against Navy in the opener. It beat a really bad, you know, it, it won 34 to 17 and then came out the next week, Ryan. It actually, it was game two, came out the next week against Virginia Tech at home and got smashed by two touchdowns in the game. They were not competitive. Looked pretty bad. If you're If you were playing Ohio State that year, if you're Michigan State and you have a pretty good football team, and you're coming off a year in which you're 13 and one, and you think you have a shot to win the Big Ten again, and you look at Ohio State get absolutely smashed by Virginia Tech, you're thinking, "Hey, we, 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 I feel pretty good about that right now." Well, and then what happened when they, when by the time Ohio State went to uh, East Lansing in November, they were a much better team and smacked Michigan State around. They won by 12, but the game was not that competitive. And then two weeks later, they go out and, and beat beat Michigan by two touchdowns. And then the week after that, in the Big Ten championship game, beat Wisconsin fifty nine to nothing. Right, right. Like just I, I, here's another example. Do you remember how bad USC was at the beginning of the 2016 season? Ryan, they mm-hmm. started one and three, one and three, and by the end of the year, guess what? They they I I still feel this way, Ryan. That USC team at the end of the 2016 season. If there was a 12-team playoff back then, they would have been a problem for a lot of people. That that team was playing at an incredibly high level. Uh, obviously beat a really good Washington team that year at Washington by 13. That Washington team made the college football playoff. Uh, blew out Oregon, blew out Cal, blew out Arizona, blew out UCLA, blew out Notre Dame, and then beat a really good Penn State team in the Rose Bowl. That Saquon Barkley, Chris Godwin, Mike Jacecki, that was a really good Penn State team that they beat in the Rose Bowl, hung 52 on them in that game. So who you are in week one, guys, does not define who you are going to be. And if the Notre Dame players have the attitude that I think some of us in the fan base are having about how NC State looked in the opener, you're going to be in for a rude awakening next, a rude awakening next week, right? That doesn't mean Notre Dame can't handle business, but they need to be locked in and treat that game like it's a big game. And then they'll be okay, right? So, uh, but... Uh, NC State's going to be all right. I, I think that Notre Dame has a very good chance of being 4-0 going into that game, David. Like, But but there's also the human elements of rankings, right, as far as, like, were they impressive looking against NC State? Sure. Were they just kind of ugly but won a close game in the end? Did they roll Tennessee State? Did they absolutely demolish Central Michigan? Like, there's a lot of factors well, that go in there. If they're 4-0, but it's like you squeaked out a close one against NC State and you were – Good, but not great against the other two opponents, but you were just more talented than them. I mean, does that deserve a top eight ranking? I'm not sure about that at that point. And it's not even just them, Ryan. I mean, to your point, right now you've got some teams ranked ahead of you. What if, you know, you look at where Alabama's ranked. If Alabama loses to Texas in a very, very close game, there's no guarantee they're going to drop Alabama below Notre Dame. If Alabama goes on the road and battles Texas for four quarters and takes that game down game to the wire and they lose in a close game, to Ryan's point, there's no guarantee that they won't look at that and say that's more impressive to us than Notre Dame beating NC State, who wouldn't have in the top 25. Not, I'm not saying I would agree with that. You, know, you think, well, LSU and Florida State, one of them probably drops below Notre Dame. But what if it's a great game, that you know, 31 to 30 game? They're going to say, hey, look, right. you know, LSU went on the road and lost to Florida State in a great game. We're not dropping them, and honestly, shouldn't. 
you know, you know what I mean? Or if you do, you just flip them. You put Florida State to yeah. five and drop LSU to eight. Doesn't mean Notre Dame necessarily jumps ahead of them. So, you know, like let's say Ryan Notre Dame goes on the road next week and just blows NC State out 35 to 10, right? Okay. So they're unranked. Is the committee going to look at that and be like, oh, wow, what a great win? You know, like Notre Dame's needs to be ranked way higher. I don't think that's true at, you know, at this point in time. And, and there's so many games to play out between now and then, right? So uh, that game's going to happen pretty quickly in my view. So, yeah. no, but it, but it, even then, I don't think, if anything, NC State, how they played last night, could hurt Notre Dame if Notre Dame doesn't blow them out, Ryan, because they weren't impressive. Then uh, people form opinions because, hey – David, you guys are human beings, and so are the committee members. There's probably some, some or not committee members, uh, poll, 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 AP poll voters who probably came to the same conclusion you did. Yeah, NC State's not that impressive. So then Notre Dame goes and handles their business next week, and then, uh, okay, so what? It's not a it's quality, NC State. Man. They're not that good, right? right? So if anything, Notre Dame needed NC State to look really good last night and really dominate UConn, and then, and then all of a sudden that win means a little bit more. So not, I don't think that's going to jump them up at all. In my view, Tyler Evans says, "What does Oregon State and Washington State think and planning to do now?" Um, they're in a tough situation, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where they go. You know, I really don't know where they go. They might be stuck a little bit. I mean, with how quickly decisions are being made, the fact that they're just kind of sitting in limbo is not a good sign, in my opinion. So are they mm-hmm. one of those teams that are going to be de facto Mountain West team at some point? Right. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, when 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 ACC is prioritizing the Stanfords of the world over you, you're probably not an SMU, all due yep. respect to SMU, you're probably not in a great situation there, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know what the future holds for Oregon State or Washington State. I actually like the – programs that the way they're trending so if i was a if i was a commit i mean if i was a conference i would actually have some level of interest just for if it was about football. quality of football yeah, yeah. For the quality of football that's but, the problem yeah yeah that's you that's the problem it's not about that yeah right and and the other thing too is that these programs are not in a position to do what smu did smu is literally foregoing any tv revenue for nine years because their boosters are just going to cover everything and pay for everything that to me, like to them getting into a power five conference was enough for them to go say, Hey, we are, it is worth it to us. We're going to get the, the, the increase in revenue and exposure and all these kind of things. that's going to grow our pro our, our institution, our program, our brand. We're going to benefit enough from that that we're willing to forego the TV revenue. Now I would imagine they'll still get like bowl revenue and, and, and those type of things, but like they're willing to, to, to eat that money in order to get into a power five league. To me, if you have the ability to do that, that's actually one of the savviest moves that I've seen people make up to this point in time yeah. was SMU basically buying their way into a power five conference. And you know what, I mean, with all the stupidity there, of what's going on in these things, of all the stupidity, like that is a really savvy move because you have the you have the support to overcome that to where you have the people that are willing to pony up and say, hey, we will take care of this if it gets us there. Knowing it, because you think about, okay, we're going to get to a power five conference. We're going to be playing Florida State. 
We're going to be playing Clemson. We're going to be playing Notre Dame. Like it's smart for them as opposed to what right now they're playing Tulsa and, you know, Memphis and teams like that. Like that doesn't make any sense for them. And the big 12 wouldn't take them. So this makes a ton of sense for SMU for Cal and Stanford. There were some rumblings a couple weeks ago that this might just be a football basketball move only. And it ended up being for all sports. But I read something today from, I believe, Ross Dellinger from um, Yahoo Sports reported that that 22 of Stanford's 36 sports programs will be affected uh, either very little or not at all because a lot of their sports don't have an ACC counterpart. So they'll have other leagues that they're a part of. So like water polo, they're a Stanford. I, I, I've actually known this, but like they're great water polo program. I don't believe there's a water polo in the ACC. I don't believe, but there's some sports like that that are just really unique that Stanford's great at that. It's not like the power fives. I mean, they're, it's not like basketball and baseball and soccer and those type of things. So I think it's like 22 or 36 won't be affected or be, be affected very little. And then Stanford's one of those programs too, where Stanford. So, so what Stanford and Cal are doing, Ryan, is they're taking thirty percent of the revenue of the ACC. The reality is, for Oregon State and Washington State, they're going to get more money than that being in the Mountain West. I mean, so, but the thing for Stanford is they can afford to do it. They have a. You think Notre Dame's endowment's big? Wait to see what Stanford's is. That's a that's a school filled with money. They'll survive that, in my opinion. the The interesting one is going to be Cal. Like that isn't that is an interesting one because Cal is actually in a lot of trouble financially, Ryan, from everything I've read. Because my understanding is like they had a lot of problems building their their new stadium and made a lot of commitments. Like they're like tens of million dollars in debt because of just some different issues with the funding and just there's a lot of financial issues at Cal going on right now. How does that league go to a power five conference where they're going to have to travel across the country this much and take 30, only 30% of the, of the revenue of one of the smallest power five of actually the smallest power five TV contract or power four now TV contract for seven, like, I think it's like seven to nine years. They're going to take that. That's going to be very interesting. Very interesting. So I like the accident, accidental pun you made with the uh, SMU program where you said they had to pony up. That was ah, really clever. Very I'm glad clever you caught one. that. Somebody yeah. said on the board, this is even uh, this is even um, uh, an even better one. Is somebody in the in on the message board at Irish Breakdown, and I can't remember who it was, said they need to change the name to the All Coast Conference so you can still be ACC, yeah. but now you're All Coasts. So I was like, that's that's very creative. That's kind of interesting. That. That's kind of interesting, yeah. honestly, because you can actually... still be the ACC. Yeah. But now, you know, you, you just have it yes. a little bit different. So you don't have to rebrand technically. It's just correct. The, correct. Yeah, it's interesting. Because it's most interesting. leagues like that go by their logo anyway. Your logo yep. doesn't change at all. You're still the ACC. You're still ACC sure. footballs. You have to do nothing. It's just everything that had Atlantic on it. You just got to change to all. Sure. thought that was I pretty like creative. It. It's like, well, done. I, like I wish it. I would have thought of that. I saw someone post on Twitter um, a picture of Eric Dickerson in SMU uniform. He was like, Former ACC great Eric Dickerson. <laughs> like, nice. That's nice. what makes us all this stuff so stupid, man. It's just like, <laughs> like records shouldn't carry over, and you know, just like some watching last night. I'm like thinking, like, 
so I'm watching the Big 12. I'm like feeling like I'm watching the Big 12 beat up on the SEC last night. That's that's what we saw, right? I mean, because yeah. like the Pac-12 is dead. And it's just like I don't even look at these teams as Pac-12 teams anymore. I mean, yeah, they're playing for a Pac-12 championship, but it just takes some of the fun out of it, right? I mean, just that last night should have been a great celebration for the Pac-12. We, you know, whooped an SEC school at our place, you know, and, and yep. instead it's like yeah. this. Yep. It's, you know, yeah. It's it's, it's very, annoying. Very unfortunate. I'm telling you, man, it's it took away from the fact that the Pac-12 is going is going to be a really good conference this season. Like it, but all we're gonna yeah. talk about is this conference realignment stuff. So yep. there it is. Yep. We had a super sticker from Sean Kelly. Thank you so much, Sean. Appreciate it. Yeah, come on, pull up. There we go. <laughs> Isaac Atkins with a super chat. Thank you so much, sir. Is there anything you will be looking for in the Ohio State versus Indiana game? I mean, honestly, for me, Brian, like it's just about health for Ohio State. Like, I really yeah. can't get much out of it. Like, I agree we, with you to a degree of like because we talked about this yesterday, gels. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if the offensive Indiana line goes and plays bad, bad that's a bad yeah. sign. That's sure. a bad sign. If that's they play fair. well, it's an okay sign. It's not a great sign because of right. the quality of the opponent, right? But if they go out there, my point, Ryan, is this: if they go out there and struggle up front against Indiana's defense, that's a that's a bad sign. Yeah, that's a bad sign. Uh, if if Kyle McCord goes out there and struggles against Indiana, that's a bad sign. The counter, though, is if they play well, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're good. Doesn't move the needle for me. I guess, right? I guess like, my assumption what, is like they're going to play well because Indiana's a really bad roster. Yeah. Like that's kind of like right. my answer. And we don't necessarily learn a ton from that. We can well, we can learn from this as a negative. If they struggle here, that's a bad sign. Like here's an example, Ryan. Yes, it was great to watch the Notre Dame pass game, and and we praised how well of a job the Notre Dame pass game did against Navy. They handled their sure. business. They ex- executed at a very high level, impressed by the numbers. But then there's the counter, the, not the counter, but then they're like, okay, we can say that all those things are true, but then also say you did what you're supposed to do against right. a bad secondary. Yeah. It was more impressive watching the offensive line dominate because the counter, to, I mean, the, the the opponent was actually pretty good in that area last yeah. season and in two of the last four seasons and really three of their last four seasons, they've been pretty good run team Two of the last four. They've been a top 10 run defense. That was more impressive to me. Sure. Watching them throw on Navy. It's like, well, yeah, that's what they did last year. You know, like you just got a more experienced quarterback doing it. So he didn't take as many of the bad plays. It'll, I'll be more impressed if they throw the ball really well against NC state in two weeks. And that's kind of how I look at Ohio state. It's like, yeah, I kind of expect you to, to dominate this game. If you yep. don't, that's a problem. I that's agree. what I, that's what we'll see out of it to me. I I, I think Indiana started to trend towards the uh, Colorado of last year territory, yes. man. Like that, that it's really it's and it's barren, sad, man. Yeah, it's, it's sad because I do. I, I, Tom Allen just comes across as like a really nice guy. He really yes, does. I, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of great things. About yeah. Tom Allen. I've actually never heard really a negative thing about Tom yeah. Allen. So other than yeah. he's just not a real good head coach. Sure, <laughs> he had that one good year four years ago. So that was yeah, cool. yeah. With uh, wasn't Kalen De- that I mean Kalen DeBoer basically built that that yeah that, that was team yeah that was when that Penix was at his best at Indiana yeah and it was actually the year after DeBoer left but DeBoer yeah. had really built that operation yeah. at that point they had some pretty good wide receivers that year too man Ty Fogle. they had that other what was that smaller wide receiver they had I can't remember his name he had a funny name though a great name wasn't Ian Thomas on that team too or Ian Thomas I... Mm, I think that was a little bit before that I think it was a okay. little bit before that but. Oh, who's that little? Was that, was that 19? 
How many years was that, they, Ryan? They had that little wide receiver. 19, that was they went eight and five. Good. Yeah. And they had, uh, it's not Wap Fillior, was it? Oh, Wap Fillior. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, was Peyton Hendershot was on that team. But yeah. Wap Fillier's real name is not Wap, obviously. I remember my, my camera just went <laughs> donezo right there, you know? But I was Ryan trying got to look so at excited Wap about Wap Fillior. Dude, I'm telling so. you, man, I need I need to find his full name because it's one of the greatest names ever. Because it's like, why are, why do they call you Wop if this is your name? Right. Like, um, one second, give me stalling for like ten seconds. But yeah, here. they they had Peyton oh, Hendershot was a good player on that team. Ryan Ty Frofogel's yeah. on that team as well, and they had Steve Scott, who was a and who's a pretty Steve Scott, pretty quality yeah. quality running back for them. Yeah. So Wop Fillier's name was Mister Elias D'Angelo. Fillier, and they called him WAP because he loved Whoppers from Burger King. Okay, there you go, there you go, Mister Elias D'Angelo Fillier, great name. Yeah, that was definitely worth my camera getting knocked down. Yes, say that name. Yes. So Nathan Milton, what's up, Nathan? How can Jordan Batelho be used differently than Isaiah Foskey? And does Batelho project as a linebacker in the NFL on a different or at different position? Best con- con- content in the biz, IB. Thank you very That's much. Right. I'll answer the first one, Ryan, and then you can answer the second one if you sure. don't mind. Uh, and if you want to add to my first part, then go for it. I think the biggest thing is is there's there's nothing Isaiah Foskey did that Jordan Patojo can't do to some level. The question is, is can he be as dominant and impactful dominant as Foskey was like in 2021, for example? Or even at times, I mean, at times of the second half of last year, Isaiah Foskey was really good in the second half of last season. The the question is, can, can Patello be more maybe consistent than what Foskey was? I would hope he can be more like what Foskey was two years ago as a pass rusher and then what Foskey was last year as a run defender. I thought last year was better as a run defender, not as consistent as a, as a pass rusher. The other thing is he does he provides you a lot more flexibility from, a, from an alignment and usage standpoint in the pass game. And what I mean by that is, is when you when they would move Isaiah Foskey around, he wasn't as good. He was an edge guy. I remember when they would try to line him up off the ball in 2021 early under Freeman and it was just like, please stop, please stop doing that. <laughs> and and now he could run with like a wheel route because he could just open up and just run. But he wasn't a guy did, that you were going to like. Last year against Sean Tucker. Yeah, twice. But he wasn't a guy who was going to like sniff out a curl route on a hook curl drop, right? Yeah. Jordan Patelho has played Rover. He played like linebacker at times in high school. Like he has more of that where you can go to like a 3-3 look against certain teams and and move him around, pr- bring him from different angles, line him up on the edge, literally drop him into a hook curl zone to disguise the coverage. And you could just have your corner, you know, playing press and then just bail him at the snap and then drop Jordan underneath that because the quarterback's thinking, ooh, corner bails. What am I thinking in the boundary, right? Well, I'm going to throw this comeback route. And the next thing you know, Jordan Patel drops up underneath that thing and picks it off. We've seen, you know, we've seen them do that in the past. I still remember that was kind of similar to what happened, if you remember, in 2018 against Michigan. They ran a, a, an outcut. And Shea Patterson thought, oh, wow, the corner and safety are off. And he didn't see Julian Aguara just running right up underneath the route. Uh, I remember that happened with the Broncos. That was a nice play by Julian Aguara. It was, was right on the sideline. I I still remember Tom Brady in the 2000 and was it 2015 AFC Championship game against the Broncos. He sees Gronkowski running and out. The coverage drops. And he just never sees Von Miller jump underneath that route and throws a pick. And it it, was one of the plays that led to the Broncos winning that game. So even the best quarterbacks can get – can uh, can miss that type of drop, but you weren't going to sure. really do that with Foskey. 
Plus, he was so huge, you, you couldn't miss him dropping in the coverage. Nah, I see. But That's with good. Patelho, he has more of a feel for those type of things because he's done those type of things in his career. So that gives you a little bit of flexibility, Ryan. So you could drop him and bring like a heavy field pressure and, and you know, do different things that way. So I think he gives you a little bit more um, cover, or I mean, a little bit more schematic diversity. We just don't know if he can be the dominant. Like, Ryan, in 2021, Isaiah Foskey took games over. Sure. I mean, he, he could just take games over. Can Patelho do that? I don't know. But – the different wise, I think we that makes sense on what he can do. Now, as far as positional fit in the NFL, Ryan, what are your thoughts on that one? I don't think he's a linebacker. I think the modern NFL is perfect for Jordan Batello, actually, because they are becoming more. So in in about 10, 15 years ago, Nathan, Jordan Batello would be viewed as a tweener in today's NFL. Nowadays, that tweener line just doesn't matter as much anymore. I mean, you're seeing Hassan Reddick's of the world, just kind of as this de facto defensive weapon that's more of an edge rusher than he is a true linebacker, right? So I don't think Patel is a linebacker. I think he's a stand-up edge rusher at the next level, a guy that could play in a 3-4 alignment as a true rush, a guy that on obvious pass situations could be in a four down and just work from a stand-up position. That's what he's going to be on the next level. So I think guys like Hassan Reddick, even Von Miller to a degree. People think that Von Miller's just been a three, four outside linebacker his entire career. That's not true. He's been in a four down a lot as a stand-up rusher. He has. So those types of players have now kind of paved the way for like these more lightly built stand-up rushers. I think that's what Jordan Best brings to the game, man. Jordan's skill set as a stand-up rusher is really fun because not only is he decently built as far as being strong, He's explosive and he's bendy, man. Like he can bend an outside track, which is what you want on the NFL level. So I am fully up on if Jordan Batelho is consistent and is productive this year, it's an NFL player. There's no doubt in my mind as far as the skill set brings to the game, but he is absolutely a stand-up rusher in, on the next level. He's not inside, especially because he's 264 pounds right. now. So like no one's going to place him as a middle linebacker on the next level. Like the Jeremiah Trotters of the world, they don't exist yeah. anymore. Like they just don't. Because you don't really count a, a stand-up edge and a three-four a linebacker. Like the Broncos would list yeah. Bradley Chubb He's as a linebacker. Edge. He's not yeah. a linebacker. Oh. You can He's list him whatever you want. He never. He was not. You know, it's just that's what they would call a three-four. You know, he's not a linebacker; he's an edge player. That's why I used to hate the Pro Bowl, but well, I still hate the Pro Bowl voting because it's like they throw like Von Miller and those guys in as linebackers. I'm like, they're not linebackers, really, man. Like they're pass rushers. Can we just call them all edges and just move along today? Like that's that's who we are. But yeah, I think that he has that versatility. I agree with you on the first part too, Brian. Is that I think Jordan is a more versatile player than Isaiah Foskey. The difference though is is that what Jordan can't do compared to Isaiah on the next level is I want to put Isaiah's hand in the dirt and just let him go. I wouldn't do that with Jordan all the time. Like right. That's just not his skill set, in my opinion. He's a stand-up, outside rusher, outside track kid. And I think right. he can be a really good one if his head is in it, he's focused, and he is able to stick to his to his technique. I think that kid has a chance to be very, very good, not only in the college level, but I think he could be an NFL player as well. Yep. I do. Yep, absolutely. John Gallagher. And also, Jordan Patel will be a great special team player on the NFL level. Oh, That's another yeah. conversation for another day. I want that kid oh, right yeah. now on kickoffs. John Gallagher, having a meetup tomorrow? Thanks, guys. We are not really doing that. I'll head over when we get to uh, when we get to the stadium. I'll head over to the Knights of Columbus thing and uh, kind of maybe be there for 10 or 15 minutes at the most, depending on if there's anybody around. But uh, no no meetup tomorrow. We're, we are going to do a big tailgate for the Ohio State game. 
but yeah, we, we just didn't get enough interest. I was going to try to do something tonight at a pizza place, but I just didn't get enough interest from, from people about that one. So we're going to we'll be chilling tonight, watching some football, Ryan, Louisville, Georgia tech, right? It's kind of the oh, yeah. door. So I, I told are. my buddy to take Louisville with the minus seven and a half to cover, man. I think Louisville's going to. Yeah. I, I, I really like Georgia tech's personnel on defense. As far as them improving, I just think their offense is going to be a major problem. Not, right. not a big Haynes King fan. Not a big Haynes no. King fan. No. <laughs> I don't think and, they have much and, of an offensive line either. So yeah, yeah. And, and he's a decent athlete, but I just it's it's what's around him's not very good. They've actually yeah. got some decent transfers in the last couple of years on defense. It's just uh oh yeah, they yeah. got um Lamiles Brooks at safety. He's a good football yeah. player. He had they got Miles Sims from Michigan. They got uh Kenyatta Walker or um yeah, oh, yeah. Watson. No, Kenyatta Watson. Watson from who Notre Dame wanted. Uh, from his, Texas, his, yeah. his dad, I think, works in the personnel department at Georgia Tech now. I believe, yeah, yes, so, yeah, yes. Oh, you yep. know him, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah. know too. <laughs> oh yeah, I know too. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, this is not. This is what I wanted to to pull up this okay. one. This is Kyle fun. Wade. Kyle Wade's question: What was your favorite cartoon growing up? Oh, Matt's. If I had to pick one, one, it's Transformers. That that's the era I grew up in was the original Transformers. But I also watched T Man as a kid. I watched Thundercats in the very brief time that Thundercats, oh, Thundercats was a thing. Good. I love and I and I watched GI Joe. Those were the ones that I would watch. And now that was and and I like to share this story. But like this is how my, my mom was amazing. I you know when I'm a kid, guys, it's back in the 80s. I mean right. early 80s. So like VCRs were just now a thing. Uh, there was no like DVR and you know all that kind of stuff. There was no social media to watch things or YouTube. So I mean, my mom would get up in the morning. And there was this uh, show. There was this like cartoon thing on one of the local channels, like, uh, and it was called Froggy's Pad. And they would play like they play like Transformers, Thundercats, GI Joe, all those, and then like My Little Pony. And so they would, she would record all those because then my sister would watch My Little Pony. And I think it was like strawberry something. I forget the name of the, the it was like strawberry. I keep wanting to say shortcake, but I don't rainbow bright is what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. And they would have those too. And those were more for like my sister, but she would record those in the morning. So then whenever we got up for school, we could watch our cartoons. So she was pretty awesome. But yeah, I was He-Man, Thundercats, GI Joe were ones that I'd watch. There was a time where I tried to get into it, but it, it, I didn't like it. It was a Transformers wannabe called GoBots. And they came out with I remember it and I was Go-Bots. like, yeah, I've, I was seen, like, nah, I've seen I'm Go-Bots. good. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. But uh, Transformers kind of ruined it for me when they had the movie and they killed Optimus Prime. Yeah. I was like, this is sure. lame. Like, that's like the best character in the movie. That kind of mm-hmm. is when I stopped watching, uh, you know, Transformers a little bit was after the movie came out. But uh, I, He-Man and Transformer toys were were awesome. I had like all, I, all those. I, I, I used to love Thundercats, man. Thundercats, yeah. oh, yeah. Like it didn't last very long. Things. Yeah, it's a bummer. It, it was not. pretty good. Lion O, yeah, it's pretty good. Can yeah, I, but can I, I, I have watched a, all those. Can I have top four favorite cartoons? Because this is too tough. I don't think I can just it's hard one, to do man. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm a classic Looney Tunes guy. Love Looney Tunes. Like, yes, please. Love Looney Tunes. Tom and Jerry was a classic. Mm-hmm. I love Tom and Jerry. South Park, a little bit more modern, but they've still been around for 20-something years. Love South mm-hmm. Park. Number four, you're probably going to hate this, Brian, but I was a big Dragon Ball Z kid growing up. Love Dragon Ball Z. I don't hate it. I just don't know it. Like, I mean, that was way, yeah. way after, like, My dad hated it, man. Every time I had Dragon Ball Z on, he's like, turn this. Why did he hate it? Off. <laughs> Why did he, he hate it? it stupid. He just thought okay. it was, my, my dad's very close-minded sometimes. So like he doesn't sure. watch something, but he just is like, oh, that's stupid. I'm like, you need to even watch sure. it. How do you know it's stupid? But whatever. Sure. sure. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, I never watched style. it. So I, I couldn't classics. tell you if I liked it or not, but yeah, I, I would watch like the, the, the other stuff was more like it be on at my grandma's on like TBS or whatever, Tom and Jerry, the Looney Tunes. I'd watch that stuff, but I didn't like it. I mean, I, you know, every kid likes it. Right. But not, not like I did Thundercats and Transformers and GI sure. Joe and all those. I'm still waiting on them laser guns. Like they use in GI Joe to be a thing. Those were, those are pretty sweet. I so. I used to love Tom and Jerry because that was the only show that I can remember that they didn't say a word the entire show, but it still had my attention the whole time. It yeah, was fantastic. It's a good point. Like no dialogue. It's just like yeah. Oh, I was like never into Peanuts. Like I know people that like that those cartoons. Okay. I was never into Charlie Peanuts. Brown was okay. Yeah, yeah I was, was never okay. really into that. Yeah, it was all right. Scooby Doo was okay too. Like the original. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, it was all right. Was it was, decent, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, David. David Lowe says after. We already hit. Oh, we had one. that one earlier. Sorry. Yeah, just making sure I hit that one already. Yeah, David Lowe said, "True or false? Sam Hartman is the best Notre Dame quarterback since Joe Montana." False for me right I, now, David. False. He's, guys, he's played <laughs> one game against a really yeah. bad secondary. Like, look, and I'm not yeah. saying that to take anything away from Sam Hartman. I think you all, anyone that watched our show on Saturday night after the game, that's not some yeah. idiot, right? Because we had one guy that was like, "I'm so sick of the negativity on your channel," and I'm like. This was on the post game show. I saw that comment. I, saw I was that like, comment. Yeah. "You're an idiot." Uh, <laughs> but the but we also have to like we're also analysts who have to say, guys, let's put some context on this thing, right? right. He played great against one of the worst like... pass defenses in college football last year, right? Like if we're gonna hype up what the offensive line did against that quality of an opponent in the front seven of what Navy did and what they've done, then we also have to have some the same context that goes in the opposite direction of they're a really bad secondary that Notre Dame also like, Oh, Jaden Thomas ripped up Navy. Oh, all right, cool. He, that's kind of his thing. He did that last year against Navy. Right. Uh, we need him to do that against NC state. I, you know, it's not an insult towards them. It's, it's not saying, Oh, let's take away what they did. It's just saying, Hey, let's, let's pump the brakes on hand in Notre Dame, the national championship trophy because they passed well on Navy. So I, I, I... David, I think just kind of going back to the question, hopefully Brian can get back in and kind of give a little bit of his insight, right? Is that Sam Hartman got off to a great start against Navy. It was really fun to see, right? It was great to see because, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I mean, it's been a long time, or we talked about this after the postgame show. It's been a long time since you felt great about the quarterback position at Notre Dame. Like it's been a few years I would say as far as like the greatest, it's Joe Montana. Like there's some good quarterbacks that are mixed in there. And we've only seen one game of Sam Hartman, right? And so if he did, if he, if Sam Hartman does what he did against Navy for the entirety of a season, could he argue for one of the best seasons a Notre Dame quarterback has ever had? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Right. I mean, that that's kind of, I think that's a, kind of a foregone conclusion. He threw four touchdowns in the first game. If he does anything close to that, throughout the entire of the season, like, yeah, it's going to be up there as far as one of the more productive seasons, especially when Notre Dame's not playing against a triple option offense where they are just, you know, they are playing, playing a game where it's the game stopping a little bit more. They have a little bit more snaps that Sam Harper going to throw for more yards. is basically what I'm saying. Touchdowns, keep it exponential, keep moving forward, make sure that it re- remains the same as we kind of keep, playing against better opponents because at the end of the day, no matter what anybody wants to say about it, Sam Hartman will ultimately be measured as a Notre Dame quarterback for his one season based upon what he did against Ohio state, USC Clemson, the better teams on his schedule a few years, like a few weeks from now, 
we're not going to even talk about the Navy game for Sam Hartman because that's going to be old news. It's going to be about what the next step is. Is he able to do that? Is he able to show that type of production against the better teams on the schedule? If he does, then we'll have this conversation at some point, right? Where does this season stack up against some of the best of all time? I'm sure that we'll have that conversation, or I hope that we're going to have that conversation at some point. But if we're talking about just since the Joe Montana era, I mean, we've had Brady Quinn. We've had Jimmy Clausen for multiple years, although his last year was the year that we really remember, the 28 touchdowns versus, was it, four interceptions his final year? Like, he was fantastic. But Brady Quinn is the best quarterback that I have seen in my, like, recollection of football, right? Not watching replays of live games. So for me, it's Brady Quinn, and I think that's the metric stick. And it also gets a little jumbled and a little bit disconnected because we're also at the – if Sam Hartman has a great season for Notre Dame, you are still going to be comparing that against guys that had multiple years of great seasons, right? Two years right. of Brady Quinn had phenomenal years. Jimmy Clausen having two very good years, especially his final year where he's fantastic. So I think it's an imperfect challenge. And, Brian, I was just telling the folks before I went into my little spiel, you froze, and I assumed – that it was my internet that was cracked up. Right? Yeah. So I got here and I saw that you were frozen and then people were like, Brian's frozen. I'm like, Oh dang, I wasn't. Frozen. It was me. You were the one. Frozen. It was <laughs> me. My internet just but went out. Yeah, yeah. My internet went out. So I have no idea what happened. Can we also not like act like Joe Montana was a great college quarterback? Cause he wasn't. Yeah, it was I mean, what do you, he ended up going what in like the third round, right? Third like, round. Good, and the year round. that Notre Dame won a title, he had 11 touchdown passes and eight picks. Now again, different era. Yeah. Right. And he had a total of five rushing yards. He had six rushing touchdowns. But Joe Montana wasn't in college what he was in the NFL. Right. Now, now you could say part of that was the system and all that. But like Joe Montana in Tony Rice was a better college quarterback than Joe Montana as far as just dominance and winning and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was a better quarterback than Joe Montana. Brady, Brady Quinn had two brilliant years at Notre Dame. I mean, look, again, different eras, right? right? But Brady Quinn threw more touchdown passes in his junior season and senior season individually take each season than Joe Montana had his entire career. So, uh, but again, he played one game, right? right one game. Right, right. If he, and, 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 and no one's, season, and, and hard no one's talking about, remember that game that Joe Montana had against Navy? No, it's, it's again, it's the championship game. It's against Houston in the cotton bowl. Right. It's, it's those big games. When you think of Tony Rice, you don't think of man, Remember how Tony Rice lit up Navy that one time? No, it's look what he did against Miami. Look what he did against Michigan. Look what he did against West Virginia. Look what he did again in the big games. That's what you're defined from, right? And so if Sam Hartman can go on and, and lead Notre Dame to a national championship and put up numbers like Brady Quinn threw up, then sure, we can talk about how he had the greatest season ever. But it goes back to what you and I said yesterday, Ryan, when you're talking about when somebody said Joe Burrow was the greatest college quarterback ever. And I'm like, no. You could argue Joe Burrow had the greatest single season in college football ever, but there were people who did that did stuff like that for multiple years, right? Exactly. And and so to me, that's kind of it, it's it's like why do I consider Tony Rice a great quarterback? And people look at well, you know, he he threw for more interceptions than touchdowns. Don't care. That's the system. He was dominant and he was money in big games and he led Notre Dame to wins against the toughest two-year stretch of schedules I've ever seen at Notre Dame. I mean, I've pointed this out. I think he won, he was something like 11 games against top 25 opponents in two years. 
I, I mean, it was it was nuts. Uh, actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to point this out again because I, I I think some people maybe forget this about the kind of teams that Notre Dame had to beat when Tony Rice was the quarterback. So in 1988, Notre Dame's last national championship season. That season, Notre Dame beat the number two team in the country. They beat the number five team in the country. They beat the number seven. This is postseason rankings, Ryan. Postseason rankings. They beat the number seven team in the country at their place, and they beat the number four team in the country that season. Like, think about that. And then you look at 1989, kind of a similar story that year. They beat number 18. They destroyed number 18, Virginia. They beat number seven, Michigan. They beat number four, Colorado. They beat number 16, Michigan State. They beat number eight, USC that season. And they beat, uh, I believe they also, let me pull up the 1989 schedule. I think they also beat Penn State that year. But yes, they beat number seven. They beat Penn State, who finished that year ranked 15th at Penn State by 11 in November. Their only loss was to the, the team that eventually won the, number, the national championship, Miami. That's it. Like, guys, you can quote me how many touchdowns the interception ratio he had. That dude was the ultimate winner. And he ran that offense flawlessly, in my opinion. So give me guys like that that did it over a period of time and did it in the big games. Now, if Sam Hartman does that and leads them to a Ohio State victory and a Clemson victory and a USC victory and anyone's a championship, we'll have that. We can have that conversation. But to me, the greatest quarterbacks at Notre Dame are the winners. And that's why people remember Joe Montana more positively as a Notre Dame quarterback because he did lead them to a championship. And he was a, I mean, the comeback stuff started in college. The brilliance as a passer didn't start in college. That started with Bill Walsh. So sure. that's just kind of my two cents on it. But the guy's played one game. Now he's is this. Here's the, he's the most prolific quarterback to ever suit up at Notre Dame. And that's already true. Sure. Right. If you just look at his entire career, but he didn't do any of that, hardly any of that at Notre Dame. You know, that's, that's yeah, kind of part of Four it. of those touchdowns. And it's yep, a different era. Point. And what would Brady Quinn's numbers look like if he would have played for Charlie Weiss for four years instead of two years under Ty Willingham? You know, it'd look a little bit different as well. Well, I'll say this. Greatest quarterback beard of all time is Sam Hartman. I've never seen one at Notre Dame. He's in that conversation for sure. He's in that conversation for sure. He makes me so jealous, man, because what, what, what's Sam? 24? I'm 31 now, and I can't grow mm-hmm. up here like that. Can't do it. Well, I pointed this can't out the other it. day. I mean, he's 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 older than multiple starting quarterbacks in the NFL, like Brock Purdy, Justin Fields. And, yeah. I mean, there's some other guys like that. But that doesn't take away from how well he played. I mean, uh, to oh, me. No. Not at all. Yeah. I'm going to ask like this one, Ryan, because I'm era. Like, there's a lot of yeah. secure quarterbacks as well. So. Exactly.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.